Hello and welcome back to Scarves Around the Funnel, the podcast dedicated not only to Heart and Midlothian Football Club, but also to giving some light relief for jambos across the globe during a troubling time for everyone. I am Laurie Dunsire, bringing you a podcast during an unprecedented time of crisis for the world. It's a time that the importance of football pales into insignificance compared to concerns about our health, our loved ones' health, and of course our livelihoods. But we're not here to talk about the COVID-19 pandemic. We're here simply to offer a bit of a respite for you. I'm isolated here at home in Musselburgh, joined by a man isolated at home in Connecticut, Mark Donaldson. Yeah, and we, we were kind of ahead of the curve, weren't we? Because we've been practicing social distancing, <laughs> you and I, for 18 months of we doing have. this podcast. Yeah, 3,000 miles or so between us. I Indeed. think that's taking yes. that two-meter safe distance to <laughs> yeah. a whole we'll new okay. level. Um, yes. yes, and we are here. We're back again. And I suppose, why not? I mean, the show must go on. And apart from anything, it's about one of the only things we can do these days is do a podcast via Skype. Yeah, so how do you how do you fill forty five minutes or so? Um, no point in getting involved in as as you mentioned the current goings on or anything to do with the football because it's such a, a fluid situation. Yeah. Um. So so we'd rather look back and we'd rather put smiles on faces, and we've we've got a game today which from two thousand and two. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you were there, you'll remember it fondly. If you've seen it on TV, um, you'll. You'll certainly enjoy what hopefully uh, we're going to we're going to talk about over over the next 45 minutes. It was the season of derbies that just got more bizarre as (laughs) the 12 months went on. Indeed. So we have a maroon memory for you today, which we'll get into in a moment. Uh, Just just to quickly mention, obviously, we won't have games to review at this point, and as Mark says, right now we don't want to get bogged down into what's going on with the current Scottish football situation. Apart from the fact there's so much other important things going on, um, it's also, as Mark says, such a fast-moving situation that we'll, we'll talk about one thing and then by the time this is released, something else will happen. As as happened last week when we talked about maybe we'll play Livingston at the weekend, by the time you were listening to the podcast, the Livingston game wasn't going ahead, the season was pretty much on hold for months on end, and the whole world did kind of descended into crisis so we're not going to do that for now but do feel free to give us a tweet at around the funnel or email podcast at scarves around the uk if you have anything you'd like us to talk about we've already had some more suggestions for uh, potential maroon memories to talk about so you know if you've got specific games players periods of time seasons you want us to talk about or anything beyond that you think would be worthwhile having a chat which would again give you something to listen to and hopefully give you a little bit of relief from a very difficult situation. Okay, so this week we are um, going back in time, uh, 17 and a half years or so. So it's Sunday, the 11th of August, 2002. It's the second game of the new season and Hearts first at home. Uh, Craig Levine in his second full campaign at the helm, having taken over from Jim Jeffries in December 2000. Uh, the young coach had lost a number of experienced players in the summer, including the likes of Stefan Adam, Thomas Flugel, and Steve Fulton. 
to combat this, the former Kenneth boss brought in some unfamiliar faces, a French winger on a free transfer from Luton Town and a towering Dutch striker also on a free. Both of these players would make their full debut in this, the first home game of the season, following substitute appearances the week prior against Dundee. Um, that match at Dens Park had ended in a fairly routine 1-1 draw, while Hibbs had started the season with a narrow 2-1 defeat at home to Aberdeen. So it was a derby that many expected to be a tight affair and a hard one to call, especially since Hearts had only won two of their last 13 meetings with Hibbs, albeit one of those two wins came in the final meeting of the season prior. That was with a late Stephen Presley penalty earning Levine's side all three points at Easter Road five months earlier. Bobby Williamson was Hibbs boss at the time, and this was the former Kilmarnock manager's first full season at the helm. In the summer, he brought back popular striker Mick Supatalainen for a second spell at the club, as well as some relatively unknown names from around Europe as well. It was his second derby in charge, and he would have been hoping to avenge the defeat in Leith in his first clash, but things were about to get a whole lot worse from a green and white perspective. Um, as part of the BBC's new TV deal, the game was televised live on terrestrial TV with a Sunday 3pm kickoff. Just over 15,000 attended the game at Tynecastle, with many more watching from home. Hart started with Stefan Mahe, despite some previous fitness concerns in place of Austin McCann, although Craig Levine admitted it was a risk uh, to start the former Celtic left-back. Uh, Mark De Vries and Jean-Louis Valois, of course the two players I was talking about earlier, the summer signings, were given their first starts uh, and also their home debuts and also of course their derby debuts. And Hart started with a 4-4-2 formation. Ante Niemi in goals, Alan Mabry right back, Stefan Mahe left back, Captain Stephen Presley alongside Kevin McKenna at the back, Stephen Boyack on the right side, Jean-Louis Valois on the left, Scott Severin in the centre alongside Stephen Simmons. And up front, new man Mark De Vries, partnered by Andy Kirk. The hip side included the likes of Ian Murray and a 19-year-old Gary O'Connor in the starting eleven, with Grant Brebner, Tam McManus and Mixu Pataline and all on the bench. It was quite a wet Edinburgh afternoon, leading to a greasy Tynecastle surface. Now at this point, Mark, um, I was a, a teenager and having a few beverages on the train through to the game and you will have been uh, more professionally maybe having a few beverages before commentary. No, oh, I was pissed afterwards. <laughs> um, but beforehand, yeah, Radio 4 commentary. Um, it was back in the day we used to do the Edinburgh teams away from home so yeah. that Hibs and Hearts fans got the opportunity if they couldn't attend and it wasn't on TV to to know that the game was certainly going to be live, obviously when Edinburgh Derbies came around, um, then we, we, we did the game. Um, so it was a Radio Forth cap that, uh, that uh, I, was, I was wearing for this one. And it's funny you mentioned, because you spoke about Marc de Vries, you spoke about Jean-Louis Valois making their home debuts. It wasn't until you told me that this was the game that you fancied doing today and did I think it would be a, a good one. I said yes, so I... I've, I've done some digging. I've done some homework. I also found out someone else was making his home debut that day, his Derby debut that day. Do you know who that person was? Um, starting. Not necessarily. He was Kevin, there. Ke- 
Kevin Twaddle played in his. That didn't necessarily mean he was a player. Oh, sorry. Oh, okay. Oh, not a player. Oh, um, oh I'm I, sure. I, I didn't know this until I spoke with Scott Wilson. Okay. That was Scott Wilson's first game as stadium announcer. Ah, was it? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um. So, because I, I messaged him because, look, let, let's be honest. Um, right now we're we're desperately trying to find out where we can access the commentary from that game. We know that Ron McLean did it with uh, with Sandy Clark on the BBC. Well, what we could um, do, well, what we could do is I could play. I'm going to play the goals as they have as they happen as they come along in the script but what i could do is i could use them and we could play yours at the end because we know we at least have that with some hawaii yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, 5-0 yeah. sound so yeah, we could do it, that it, we could, we it could. wasn't yeah that, that works but so i messaged scotty scott wilson who i used to work with him fourth and said any danger any chance because i remember he had a website a blue yonder website back yeah. in the day of i remember of kelly that. west communications my god this takes me back i used to work um, for them <laughs> <laughs> wow, they they not sponsored Dundee United for they a did. season. They United did, they did, yes. Wow, well, we've we've just been transported further back since two thousand and two. Anyway, um, we digress. Eh? Just because we don't have any football, we can still do tangents. Just tangents, um, whatever the situation. I, oh, without, a pandemic without, Scott, tangent. Scott Scott was saying he thinks he might have them. He says, but but do you know it? It was his first game as well. I said no, because um, Mark McKenzie done uh, the yeah. job beforehand, and um, yeah, that was his first full time. Um, day uh, and and what a day it was indeed so um, the stage was set um, the match started at a decent pace actually lots of commitment from both sides lots of intent lots of challenges on the wet surface a typical derby really um, I guess one of the first notable incidents 12 minutes in John O'Neill was forced off after yeah. A, yeah, nasty looking collision with the advertising boards in front of section N of the old main stand. It was actually a good challenge by Stephen Boyack, but O'Neill unfortunately fell headfirst into the Bank of Scotland board, which um, led to him going off. A big blow for Hibbs, actually, uh, losing the influential midfielder. Two previous derby goals to his name. Grant Brebner came on, but um, he is a significant figure, and probably, I guess, from a Hibbs perspective, something that really impacted the game, I guess, at that early stage. It did, and the certain things that you remember when from commentary. If you if you ask me about that game, the first thing I'm 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 not going to say to you is oh, the the John O'Neill. But once you bring it back, it's like you say to any Hearts fan or any football fan about a certain game. The more they think about it, the more things will come back to them. Yeah. Now that I remember that, and as I said, I've done my homework for this. I've spoken to Mark DeVries, which we'll get into. I've spoken to Ian Murray, um, the the head school scorer that day. Um, and obviously I've spoken to, to, to Scott Wilson, but Ian mentioned it about the John O'Neill. He said, he said it's, it's not easy to see the game turn because there's only 12 minutes gone. But the one thing that I remember about that incident was the noise. Oh, now, oh yeah, we, yeah, yeah. We have the effects, mind. We weren't too far away. We were just behind the kind of section and the old family enclosure up in the in the commentary box that used to be in the old main stand. You, you know where it was. Yeah. And it, so we're not far away at all. There was a thud. Mm-hmm. A, a proper thud. Now, obviously, there's a decent noise in there as well, but when John O'Neill wasn't able to continue, as Ian Murray explained when we spoke earlier, he became captain, Ian Murray, and and that started him at, uh, on a road to becoming club captain. So Ian Murray took over the captain's armband, but at that stage of, of proceedings, um, John O'Neill was an influential member of the yeah. his team. So from a Hearts perspective, that was... That was a big boost for Hearts, even though the score was still nil-nil. 
and a massive blow for Hibs. Yeah, well, it was only six minutes later, actually, after the substitution, so in 18 minutes that we we got the opener. Um, Hearts had adopted a direct approach to De Vries, and it paid dividends. Nieme with a long clearance from the edge of his box. De Vries challenges, can't quite get a flick on, but rushing onto it is Northern Irish striker Andy Kirk. There's De Vries, in goes Andy Kirk! Kirk scores the opening goal! What a lovely finish by Andy. Beautiful half-volley lob over Tony Keg. Only managed one goal the season previous. I think he had a few problems with injury at that point. Um, But it was a great goal. and Andy Kirk was a player I really liked at Hearts. And I think he's one of these where one of the things we've lacked in most of the time for, for me watching Hearts on a regular basis, given I only caught the end of Robbo's career, is a goal scorer, a kind of poacher. And um, and I thought Andy Kirk was one of the, the best ones we've had in my kind of 25 years or 20 to 25 years watching Hearts, um, when you take away the fact that Robbo was at the tail end of his career. Um, 35 goals and 134 appearances, which doesn't sound too great, 1 in 4 overall ratio, but he only made 74 starts for Hearts. So if you kind of look at it that way, that a lot of his appearances were substitute appearances. Fair enough, he would have scored off the bench sometimes. Some of them were, you know, a few minutes here or there. Um, one go- one goal in a, every for every two starts he made for Hearts isn't too bad. And I thought he was kind of underrated at times at Hearts. I liked Andy Kirk. I really did. I remember when we signed him for 50,000. Um, Jeffrey signed him from Glentoran in, yeah. in Northern Ireland. That was in 1999, and it took a while. It took a while. He, he played reserves um, to begin with, had one or two opportunities in the first team, but checking out the wonderful London Hearts, uh, that was his 74th appearance for the football club. And as you say, there were a lot of kind of substitute appearances, but he was a goal scorer. He was, I don't know if you could describe him as a poor man's robbo, but he was similar in that he, he was a sniffer inside the six-yard box. He, yeah. he made. He was a clever player. He, he made good runs. Um just a player I enjoyed. And we had someone like Gary Wills. Gary Wills was another, um, not quite a poor man's Andy Kirk, but he, he was someone who, I know he, he was on the bench that day, but he, he was another type of player. We, I liked Gary Wills. I mean, he, so he, really, he yes, had that really so, so bad I. injury and he just never yep, he did. He never quite got back to got back to the potential I thought he had. I thought he could have, I thought given other circumstances and maybe more f- fortune on the injury front, Gary Wills could have made more of his career. I mean, he had a you know a, a fine, a fine enough Scottish uh, career, but, uh, but I thought he had some real promise as well. Yeah, the interesting thing about that game, again going back to the London Hearts website, they were both 23 years old, and they both made their 74th appearance in that oh. game. Gary Wales off the bench for for Andy Kirk. Okay. I know there were some games we played them both. Uh, maybe they were a wee bit too similar. They, Gary Wales. Yeah, they both partnered maybe... each other the game prior, actually at Dens Park. They start. Okay. Together. Yeah, and I can see why, um, but I don't know, maybe they're both a bit similar, but, but Kirk, I thought Kirk, and we saw in that game, um, especially with the first goal, the, the relationship pretty quickly developed between Kirk and De Vries. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll keep um, reverting back to, to what Mark De Vries said, because I, I messaged him in, uh, this morning and said, look, um, doing this piece on Around the Funnel this week, any memories, and we'll get to some good stories later. But with this goal here, I said there wasn't a touch, was there? Because if there was a touch, I'm sure Wales would have been off. Uh, Kirk yeah. would have been offside. Yeah, I think so. Um, so he said no, no touch on on that one. But he, as you say, he did enough. 
um, to put the defenders off, even though the ball was missed. And it was a really good finish by Andy Kirk. He took it brilliantly well. Um, and uh, before the end of the half, we had another goal. Uh, 40 minutes uh, in Jean-Louis Valois, who'd started very brightly, plays a delightful chip pass over the top of the Hibs defence with the outside of his left boot, finding De Vries inside the area. Jean-Louis Valois looking to create number two. He's very elusive, difficult to tie down. Here's a chance for Mark De Vries. Is it two? It certainly is. A dream debut for Mark De Vries. Bang. What an emphatic finish this was. Smashed home, instant hero, even at this stage, uh, with plenty more to come and plenty more to talk about on the De Vries front. But Val was, well, drifting inside, drifting away from players. Uh, my mates and I often joked about Val over the time with hearts that we felt he was one of these very lucky players where he seemed to just get little ricochets, run at players, and things would just come off for him, even if it maybe wasn't executed perfectly well. I thought he was one that never quite lived up to expectation at Hearts given how well he performed in that game and obviously famously would be given man of the match on the BBC despite the fact <laughs> a certain player scored four goals but 59 appearances, um, four goals for Hearts. It, he was an interesting one Valwa. He was a typical flair player where at times he did something brilliant but there was games and periods where he did very little. He's the stereotypical smelly or pelly <laughs> Brilliant or just honking. Indeed, um, yeah. And it, it, it was his inconsistency, but show me a consistent winger and I'll show you a liar. They don't exist. But his best stuff was really, really good. He just didn't see it very often. And th- this is the type of player, um, when Hearts signed Jean-Louis Valois, if he's a world beater, Hearts wouldn't be signing Jean-Louis Valois. And they, they wouldn't no. get him um, the way that, that, that they did. Hearts, even now, is, is a club that doesn't quite prey on the vulnerable as far as signings are concerned, but they give an opportunity to those that that may work, who've shown something in the past, um, or that, that are a, a trough in their career as opposed to a peak, and they, and they try and get them back there. I mean, Valois was at Luton and hadn't really done too much at Luton, but again, this is the scouting network. Jim Jeffrey's scouting network was was decent. And, and, and again, this is a player who... Jean-Louis Valois, who, according to Wikipedia, had, had come through um, the Auxerre Academy with Guy Roux. So, so there's a player in there somewhere. As far as the second goal is, is concerned, um, <laughs> I said to, to Ian Murray, what's your memory of that? He's concerned, uh, what's your memory of the second goal? His words were, fucking Alan Orman. I said, what do you mean? <laughs> he goes, everyone else gets up. He decides to stay back. Because we're all right. thinking offside. Yeah. Yeah. Offside, it wasn't until they got in at half time and they saw <laughs> that, that Orman was just dawdling um, in the right back position, playing everyone on side. Great finish, great touch and yeah. finish. It's funny. I, I'm watching the replay on them. I, I watched this a lot this morning. Um, the goals and the replays on YouTube, and I think on a, a drier day with a fierier pitch. I think that that finish would have been even harder. I think that it, it, the bounce of the ball, it's just kind of dulled it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And De Vries has taken it really, really well and finished it. But had the conditions been a little bit fierier, then there's a good chance that um, that, that would have gone over the bar instead of under the bar and, and given Hearts a, a tuna lead. And we had other chances as well. Um, 
but they had they had a couple just before after. It was a game in which I know we got six goals, but there were loads of chances, good yeah. chances in the game, um, and we could have even had more goals. <laughs> on Valois, for those who maybe didn't, we, we did speak about Jean-Louis Valois on a, another show, and his career his career tra- trajectory was very weird after he had a very short spell um, at Almeria in, in Spain, and then briefly went to Clyde, but it's in the fact he goes from Clyde, and I don't think he played a league game at Clyde, <laughs> No. but he then went to, to Burnley and played in the championship. <laughs> it, it just... It just seems such an odd kind of up and down. Like you know, you you see these players who often will have that they'll start and then they'll peak and then they'll go down and down and the the kind of level reduces as the older and 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 I guess less talented or or less um or their at least their stamina and physical side of things go. But he had a weird up and down and then he went to the United Arab Emirates. It just it seems so bizarre to think that he had this period at Clyde briefly, didn't yeah. get a league game and then played. Mm. In the second tier of English football, given especially these days, when you think Burnley, quite a big club. Yeah, it's like, and then there's a there's like a six year period because did we not do a piece on, on Parkside Rangers where he supposedly um, was was there for a year in 0607? Then there's like a six year period um, where no one seems to know what he got up to. Yeah. He played <laughs> he played as a trialist for Cheltenham reserves, and then he had four teams that look like they, they're spelled out by the letters you have left on a Scrabble board um, <laughs> at, at the end. C.D. Roquetas, E.F. Alhambra, C.D. Minera, and Olimpico di Totana. I mean, that's the kind of words you try and put on a Scrabble board to convince your family that they are in the Oxford English Dictionary, <laughs> but you're full of horrible letters and vowels and consonants left on your little tiles, and, and you can't use them. Yeah, Valwa, um, according, again, according to... to the internet so it must be true, um, or as Bernie Sanders would call it, the YouTube and various other things. Um, the supposed story is he had a fallout with Joe Kinnear, and that's why um, Kinnear allowed him to leave yeah. uh, Luton to, to go to Hearts. And I think their loss was was our game because I enjoyed watching him. He, mm-hmm. he, he was a flair player, and I don't think there are enough of these players that get bums off seats. And when he was on form. And and as you mentioned, we'll get to the man of the match story later. Um, but when he was on form, he was fun to watch. So half time, Hearts with a two goal lead and uh, cruising, or so it seemed at that point. Um, six minutes at the second half, I'm in the toilet taking a leak, so I didn't actually Thank see you. it. Cheers. I, I didn't. I didn't. I'm glad actually. I wasn't. I'm glad you weren't. Yeah. Well, a bit worried. It was six minutes in the second half, so um, <laughs> I, I can't actually remember. I assumed that I'd went for a half time pie in a bovro and finished it and then had gone because I can't think why else I was in the toilet six minutes into the second half but you know what it was like you were queuing and the game would have started and then you needed to nip to the loo so I didn't see it I just heard a cheer and you could tell you know it's funny you can tell that it's obviously the away end because it's not close enough it's muted yes yeah, slightly it's not, muted it's not, yes. um, and I was like oh no here we go and um, I, I should probably play it here it is Luna and Brebno and Murray Ian Murray gets the goal, heads badly wanted. So Ian Murray bullets home a header from a Paco Luna cross in front of the Hibs fans in the Roseburn end. And it seemed like game on. Um, did Ian Murray think it was game on, oh, Mark? Jesus, here, here we go. <laughs> I was like, what's, what's the memory? First of all, I said, was that your only goal at Time Castle? He said, yes. So, I said, what was it like? Um, 
I scored around 50 minutes with the goal of the game, a bullet header that ripped the net off. <laughs> it was, on, it was actually a good header, but I mean, he needs it needs to was. It. It, 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 it was. Um, he's talking about, was it Severin not getting close enough to him? Uh, I don't think. Yeah, he just, I said, does no one think of marking you? Um but yeah, so I, I scored. Probably, a, probably uh, didn't see him as a danger, to be honest. So. No, look, it's it's a, it's a good goal. <laughs> it's a good goal, and 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 I means, mentioned the chances. All, like, but I mean, yeah, it was a decent. Well, at the at the time, it meant game on. <laughs> yeah. Because at two nil, um, I wouldn't say we were really comfortable, but it's, it's always a good lead to have. Um, but they had they had one or two chances, um, and you kind of thought, well, just as long as they they kind of don't score to get one back, then they did. And um, after that was interesting, Laurie, because watching it, it, it back, um, they had a fair bit of the ball. And, and at one stage, they were looking more likely to get an equaliser than we were to getting a third goal. Indeed. I mean, on Ian Murray, he's, he's one of these. I have to admit, he was one of my favourite players to give stick to when I was a fan. <laughs> I loved giving Ian Murray stick. And you've got those pantomime villains, don't of you, course, for both sides. Course. I mean, Hibs fans loved giving... Ian Black or or yeah. Eddie Scatchell, he was thick. Um, Ian Murray was one of those because he was obviously um, a bit more directly attached to Hibs. Um, but I, I guess one of my favourite Ian Murray moments was him losing the rag and booting the ball um, at the advertising boards at Tynecastle. Remember when he had that stupid 1973 shaved into his yeah, head? Yeah, 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 yeah. Go and ask him if he felt a right dick for doing that. No, he, he doesn't regret it. I told him he looked like a dick. Um, but that's... We, I think when I spoke... I didn't speak to him about that earlier today, but I've spoken about him in the past, and he said, I think, something along the lines of, we all have our moments where we think it was a good idea at the time. <laughs> that was one of those. Indeed. We'll move on from Ian Murray. Um, yes, Hibs could easily have come back into the game and, and obviously levelled, but on 66 minutes... Hearts managed to regain their two-goal advantage. It was uh, fairly direct from the Jambos again. A free kick lofted forward from the Hearts half by Stephen Presley. De Vries with a flick on, uh, who would have thought, um, onto Jean-Louis Valois. The keeper blocks Valois' shot, but who was in the right place at the right time? 19 and a half minutes gone in the second half. Hearts 2, Hibs 1. Delicately poised. There's De Vries. There's Valois, saved by Keg and De Vries! He scored a second, it's dreamland for the Dutchman. So the direct approach really was a big part of Craig Levine's Hearts tactics first time around. Obviously De Vries the man who ended up finishing that opportunity to make it 3-1. Um, and we, it's another thing we've spoken about before, football was a different game back then and I thought Craig Levine was a very effective manager first time around. Um, 4-4-2, direct, wide players, play up, big man, little man, was still a very common approach in the UK. And um, it was allowed to work so well for Hearts under this Craig Levine team. I think a lot to do with Mark De Vries, um, because you, 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 we spoke about De Vries and Kirk earlier. It was almost like going back to the Sandy Clark and John Robbo, wasn't it? The Playing the yes. ball up, you can play off the big striker, knock him down, but you can also get the ball wide and you can play into them in the box as well. It was, it was, and and you're right. First first time around, I mean, he found a style that suited, and it wasn't a case of right. This is the formation we're going to play, and we'll make the players play in that formation, even if they they don't they, they don't want to. Um, 
Was it attractive to watch? Well, when you beat Hibs 5-1, does anybody really care? But it, you're right, it, it was more direct than, than normal, but we played to our strengths and, and, and they worked. So uh, everyone's different. Some want silky, sexy football. Others want an end product. Look, it, it wasn't something that, that fans would come from all over the world to flock to Tynecastle to see this scintillating football, but it was very effective. So that looked to be the crucial goal, and certainly as we hit 90 minutes, Hearts were heading for three points, but there was still some icing, and then a cherry to be added to a, a delicious derby cake for those of a maroon persuasion. Um, young substitute Paul McMullen dashes forward on the left in the 91st minute, switches the play to Mark de Vries, and this is where he showed he wasn't just a big cart horse. McMullen. For De Vries, good touch. Could it be the hat trick for Matt De Vries? It could, you know. So composed, steps away from Mark Dempsey in the Hibs defence and just dinks it over Tony Keg. Wow, he wasn't just a big target man, was what we were thinking at that point. Still wasn't done yet, though. 93rd minute. It hibs all over the place now. Um, again, a long ball forward is won by Mark De Vries, who is pretty much unplayable at this point. And a substitute Gary Wales goes after it. Does well out on the right. Crosses well into the box to Mark De Vries at the back post. Gary Smith. Not the ball away, but Gary Wales onto it. Is there to be number five for De Vries? It's unbelievable! The freedom of Edinburgh awaits Mark De Vries. Or half of it anyway. The willingness and effort from Wales and Mark De Vries at this point, deep into injury time, to get another goal was, I think, commendable. Especially from De Vries to get back in the box when he'd already got a derby hat-trick and was already going to be the toast of Gorgie. Um, but this made it, uh, what, two in the right, one in the left, uh, one with his head. Um, what a performance and what a derby debut from someone who would make... 90 appearances for the Jambos, 33 goals he would score in, in 79 of those being starts. Um, but so much more important than just the goals, as we mentioned, someone who Hearts could play off a focal point. Um, he'd get one more goal against Hibs, of course, as well, in another crazy and incredible derby game later that season, the 4-4. Um, but he will go down as a Hearts legend. And I don't know what you were thinking at this point when he scored four. I mean, it just... It was kind of beyond belief, and I was obviously a little bit intoxicated in Section G jumping around, but um, it sometimes it's more surreal when you're, I guess, sober and covering the game in these instances. <laughs> well, uh, you're assuming I was sober. Well, uh, pretending <laughs> that was. you're the consummate I, I, professional. I was. Yeah, I, I was <laughs> drunk on, on enthusiasm and, and delirium. Um, a lot to get to, to, to with this. Um, four goals on his Derby debut, but not man of the match. <laughs> okay, Sandy Clark, autobiography, 2012, from the heart. Take it away, Sandy. Doing the live games on television is always good, but at times, you know, it can be like flying without a safety harness. You can make mistakes or be left red-faced, which was what happened to me on certain occasions. It certainly did on the 11th of August, <laughs> 2002, when I was doing the Edinburgh Derby at Tynecastle. Hearts beat Hibs. Hearts thrashed Hibs 5-1. They were winning 3-1, and Mark DeVries had scored a couple of the goals. Rob McLean and I were doing the commentary, so he turned to me and said, Sandy, can you give us a man of the match? De Vries had scored a couple. 
I still felt Jean. I still felt Jean Louis Valois, who played down the left, had been different class. So I gave the award to him. Then in stoppage time, ah, De Vries <laughs> scored another two to take his tally to four. By that time, I had already given Valois the vote. There was no going back. Needless to say, I took a lot of good-natured stick and banter for not giving De Vries the decision, as he'd walked away with the match ball, four goals, the scalp of Hibs. But no champagne. If only I had a crystal ball, then I might have made a different choice. Thank you, Sandy. Now over to Mark de Vries. Okay, says I this morning. What did you think when Valois was named man of the match? The reply, Stevie Wonder was commentating on this game. (laughs) (laughs) So I said, it was Sandy Clark in commentary and he had to give his man of the match before the end of the game. Ha ha ha. Now, to be fair, I played okay but I was nowhere near the performance of Jean-Louis. However, Sandy must be related to Stevie. Is his real name Sandy Wonder? (laughs) (laughs) So I said to him, have you ever scored four in a game before? Yeah, in training. Thursdays and Fridays combined. (laughs) He's he's got a good sense of humour. He said, I had a few hat-tricks. That's it. I wasn't known for scoring. I was more of a a link-up player, but I really enjoyed that. I said, I've just watched your hat-trick goal. Nice ball from McMullen and your dink over Tony Keg was very subtle. He said, I think, honestly, I have watched that game about 1,250 times by now. So I said, was that, was that your best memory at Hearts? Try and guess his answer. No. Okay, you're correct. What was his best memory at Hearts? Oh, Braga. You have the competition correct, but not the oh, game. Bordeaux, Bordeaux. No. No. Oh, is the car? I don't know. I'm just guessing. Yes. Oh. Yes. Okay. I would never have got that. He said his best memory at Hearts was his first European game at home. A 2-0 he, he win scored, over Jesnikar when he scored. Webster scored yeah. the other one, I think. I That's header. right. So that, that was his best memory um, at Hearts. Um I said, did you get the touch on the header for Andy Kirk's opening goal? Nah, I don't think so. Um, I said, I was just checking if you were claiming an assist as well. He said, nah, if you score four in one game and you don't get man of the match, you only have memories, not those of assists. <laughs> That's true. You, um, you can only hold so many memories. You've got, you've got to keep the room for those goals. Um, I have one longer story, which I'm, I'm, I've taken up a, enough of the, the kind of... What are we? Are we airwaves? No, we're not really airwaves. What are you in a podcast? Uh, I don't know. Sound enough waves. Of, I've, 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 yeah, well, whatever. So I'm, <laughs> I, I have this story, which I will tell you before the end today, and it's to do with Alan Mabry's birthday party, which they all went to um, that weekend, that Sunday night. They all went out in town. So he's told me a big, long story about that, which I'll be able okay. to tell you. But but not yet. So yeah, it it was an incredible game. Um, but bizarrely, if you ask Hearts fans that season, after it's all kind of done and dusted, to rank the three derby matches, um, the first three derby matches, the five one was followed by the come from behind two one at Easter Road, which was followed by the four all. I, I don't know about anybody else, but I don't think the five one makes many kind of top of the pops type thing. For me, before all, then the 2-1, then the 5-1. So although it's our Maroon memory today, um, if it's in my top three that season, it comes third. What about you? 
It's a hard one because, as we've spoken about in a previous podcast, I was living up north at the time, and because the New Year's Day game um, was on a pretty poor weather sort of day in Scotland, the conditions weren't great, I I didn't get to the 4-4 game. I had tickets, but I ended up listening to it. So uh, it's hard for me to rank that up there with the other two when I was there. It's funny, the 2-1 game, still probably my favourite derby moment is the stamp goal for just utter because we'd been shite that game as well mm-hmm. we'd been pish for 85 minutes and we'd stolen a point and we were celebrating and goading the hibs fans who were leaving at 1-1 because <laughs> we'd robbed them of a point and we then somehow it's a brilliant goal but we just said there was no sign that we were going to do that towards the end we'd been crap the entire game so for that moment the, the stamp goal was that better moment for our just the elation um so it's a hard one. I would I would rank that one for the moment above the five one, which was just overall wonderful. Um, but the four four, I can I can see why people would rank it higher. Trickier for me because I wasn't there, so I had to listen to. So I always have a slight yeah. bitterness about going back to that one because I didn't get to be there. Um, but yeah, it's a hard one. It was an incredible time for derbies. There was so many. We kept scoring so many late goals in derbies we over did. that period, mm-hmm. before and after. Um, well, you look at the three. I mean, you've got De Vries. Um, scoring in this game we're talking about in the 91st and 93rd minute. you got Phil Stamp in the 92nd minute. Um, the game before that road. that I mentioned as well, the last game of the previous season, we also got the late Presley penalty as well. Well, that's the thing. So, so how about this? In those three games this season, because remember, we didn't play a, a fourth game against Tibbs that season. In, the, in those three games, this is true. This is incredible. We scored in stoppage time in the 91st, the 92nd, the 93rd, <laughs> the 94th, and the 95th. What, I mean, look, what are the chances of that? Assuming the timekeeping is correct. So De Vries in the 5-1 yep. with the 91st. Phil Stamp at Easter Road with the 92nd. De Vries in the 5-1, his fourth in the 93rd. And then in the 4-4, Graham Weir in the 94th and Graham <laughs> Weir in the 95th. Yeah. That's unbelievable. It's mental. You won't you won't get that very often in what, over just three back-to-back derbies. Um, it, it's funny with what you're saying about the man of the match. I've always thought it's such a risky thing. I never, I know that they kind of award this because there'll be sponsorship, etc. And they need to award it when people are still, I guess, watching and the game's live. But it always seems like such a a silly thing to do and I do remember it immediately reminded me of Morris Malpass in a game I went to in the 90s at Tanadice where he was awarded man of the match by not by the TV but by the sponsors and he got sent off pretty much as they were <laughs> as they were awarding him the man of the match and all the Hearts fans were obviously ironically cheering it, it might have been seconds after or, or just before, but it was it was almost dead on. I just opened up my phone to quickly check the time, and um, he was sent off in that game in the 87th minute. So it would have been about that time that yeah. they were. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I remember as well that um, Nicky Law in the 2-1 Hearts win at Ibrox in the first game of the championship season. So Rangers were not happy. They were 1-0 down to us, and Nicky Law got awarded man of the match. And the Rangers fans jeered and ironically jeered as if, you know, shite, you've been poor. And he scored pretty much as they were jeering him. <laughs> Obviously, we went and completely suckered them, 
either way. But it's just funny that you, you, you maybe other people have some good memories of that. There might be some I'm not thinking of where a sponsor's man of the match or a, a TV man of the match is completely then made someone look silly because something has gone completely against them or yeah. or another player has eclipsed them with an incredible late performance or whatever well there, there, there's I don't have specific examples but I do remember being at games where you do not give man of the match to the away team now there have been games that I've been at where the away team has, has won very very comfortably yeah. but the home team sponsors or whatever still has to give a man of the match yeah. <laughs> and the sheepish look on the player who's on the end of a 5-0 hiding as it's announced he's getting man of the match that's one the other thing that makes me think of of when you're talking about giving the man of the match out or announcing it five minutes from time or from the end of normal time it, it logistically i can get why they do this but it's like voting for the manager of the year in March or April, there's so so much it can still be decided. Um, I mean, 1998. Do we do we give Hearts boss Jim Jeffries the Manager of the Year, where they've come close? But when the voting takes place, they've still got an outside chance of maybe the league. Um, in the cup, well, they've they've still got semi final and, yeah. and final to to play. So it's it's very difficult, and I, I know why they do it because. You, once the season's over, everyone's away, everyone's gone, the players and whatever, and you want them to be at the at the awards ceremony to pick up the award. So it's very difficult to, to be faced with a vote for a manager of the year. Um, if you go against the grain of, of, of the obvious title winners, recently it's been Celtic, before that for many years it was Rangers. If you want to go with the narrative of, of what's happened that season, um, the outstanding success stories, I mean, I know we're in March, and God knows if, if football will resume this season. But Gary Holt's done an unbelievable job um, with with Livingston this season. He's not going to win anything, but again, it's all subjective as to what you think is is going to be um, deemed. I, I think overachieving is a bit is a big thing. I had a big row with Stevie Nichol on on FC uh, on ESPN about half term awards, as we called them. And we were looking for the manager of the season so far in January. He's like, it's the most obvious thing ever. It's got to be Jurgen Klopp. I said, no, it's not. It's Chris Wilder. He goes, that's just that's the most stupid thing I've ever heard. I said, well, wait a minute here. What, why is it? I said, A, it's an opinion. It might be stupid to you, but I'm going to back it up. And I explained that what they were expected to do, everyone had them bottom or certainly going down if, if, if that wasn't the case. And look where they are. So he massively overachieved. Jurgen Klopp's had a great season. I'm not denying that. I said, but if you're asking me for manager of the season so far, I'm giving it to Chris Wilder because they mm-hmm. have massively overachieved. He, yeah. wasn't, he wasn't having any of it. So th- this is the thing. There's no right or, or wrong thing. The one thing I want to say about Ian Murray. And it's Another at the end thing? Of, oh, no, it's finally. It's finally. Because we can have a go at him here. <laughs> we can have a go at him here. Um, this was his, his kind of sign-off after his memories of this one. Hearts scored their fourth and the fifth late on, but I think throughout um, we were by far the better team. <laughs> I was like, Come on, son! Come on! Really? I mean, it wasn't. It was probably in a balance of play, not five one. It wasn't hammering, five one. But no, would he be? Did he ever? Did he ever say anything about the fact? You know, from a Hibs perspective, like obviously three one, three one's disappointing. You've lost a derby, but it's it's a derby defeat that will then just be a derby defeat. Hibs really looked like they downed tools in that injury time. The players were all over the place. Um, injury time, yeah, but but he did mention a chance that they had with Townsley 
and, and I've looked at the match report. Um, so after De Vries gets his second, yeah, um, Townsley made a mess of a great chance to hit back immediately after Hart's third, when with his okay. back to goal, he failed to one, connect. Yeah. No, like, likewise. But again, it's it's there. So he pointed that out. So look, if we get to three two, then then who knows? But now, what, what, once the time's running, once the fourth goal goes in, then the, it's a bit like the focus that they didn't have when they're 4-2 up. And to give the foul away um, in the 4-4 game and then Hearts get, get the goal, it's just it's weird how they'd switched off. Once the fourth goal's gone in um, to, for De Vries to complete his hat-trick, and then, then it's just immaterial what happens afterwards. But yeah, he, they I think that season, and what we've just said about goals in the 91st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th and 5th, that's five goals in time added on. The mentality of that team, the Hibs team, compared to the, the never-say-die yeah. attitude from the heart, that, that tells a story. Okay, well... It was good. It was it was good to it was good to look back at that. It was enjoyable. I've got, I've got my one more story. From, and um, from I was going to say, yeah, don't worry. Before we go, we will we will let you we'll let you have your your story. So um, take it away. Okay. Right after the game on the Sunday, we had a little get together for Alan Mabry's birthday. His birthday was on the eighth of August. Mm-hmm. This was our first opportunity to go out and celebrate his birthday. So we were hopeful that it was going to be a Hearts win. My God. Uh, we got more than just a win. Everyone was there. Uh, Mabry, Kirky, Seve, um, pretty much everyone who played in the game all came out because we'd won 5-1. So here's what happened, says Mr. DeVries. After the game, I went straight back to the house to get changed. I was only at the club for about six weeks, so I didn't really know my way around. I called for a taxi and I asked Mabry for his address. So the cab driver arrives. He is the biggest Hibs fan you'll ever meet. His face is tripping him. I said, what's up, pal? He looked at me funny, like he'd recognise me. So we're driving um, from the West End to Morningside, um, where the party was. So my guy, he keeps looking in the rearview mirror and he shakes his head as if to say, no, it's not It's not him. So he's telling me all about his team. He's having a bad day because his team got slaughtered by a big Dutch man. Mm. He turns around and asks me, he says, you're, you're not who I think you are, right? I said, what are you on about? And then, <laughs> so De Vries writes in brackets, I'm new and I think he's going to call his pals up to beat me up if I say I am. <laughs> said, so the moment we arrive at Mabry's and all the boys are outside, you should have seen the driver's face. It's then, I think he's pretty sure that it, it, it's me as the, I don't give too much away, but I'm pretty sure he thinks it's me as the drive um, continues because obviously I've got the, the foreign accent. But then when we arrived at Mabry's, you should have seen the driver's face. Fair play to him. He got out of the car. He shook all our hands. Um, he said he wasn't going to take the fare, and he said he would never forget that day. So credit to him for for that. He'll have a story that he can he can dine out on. Um, but that was the the story of them going to celebrate Maybury's birthday and the driver, a big Hibs fan, not realizing initially it was De Vries because he's only seen him in the rearview mirror and it's dark or whatever. The the, the weird thing about Mark De Vries was he had a big stutter. And he was very nervous to speak to the media at the beginning because he, he was embarrassed by, by the stutter or the stammer. Mm-hmm. Um, but you could tell as the season went on and he, he got more and more comfortable with um, everyone in Scottish football because he was such a nice big lad. It never disappeared, but it was very, it was very um, 
but it, it was a lot less prominent and pronounced as as the season went on. It was just the, the nerves, and it, it didn't want people to to kind of think about what he was doing or his stutter or his stammer. But one of the nicest guys, and um, it, 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 the bond that he had with with that team. It's still there because he still speaks to all these guys and, and he's still pally with Kirky and, and Scott Severin um, and Alan Mabry. And um, for him to, every time he's back, and he's, he's not back too often, but when he goes into the bars, he's, he's just treated like an absolute hero um, because of the, the goals that he scored against him. So there's your story. <laughs> Excellent story. Thank you for sharing it. So that was that was Hearts 5, Hibs 1, Mark one, the first, the first of what would end up being a two-parter. The sequel was, of course, even better. Um, and do you know, do you know, what I miss is the old, the old VHS that you would get out with these big yeah. games, and and even even the VHS rivalry. Because do you remember the five-one? I remember I had it. Was high five better than the joy of six? Um, because <laughs> because because Hibs had brought out the six-two, and I think they'd called it the joy of six, hadn't they? They had, and the weird, the weird thing about that game, Laurie, Hearts went one 0 up. Was it Gary Wales at Easter Road? Um, we scored the first, and then we scored the last. It was it. Cam- yeah, I know. Was Cameron and Kirk? Did Cameron and Kirk get the goals? I think. Um, was it Kirk or or was it? So what year would that have been? I think it was Mickey Cameron and Andy Kirk who got the goals. I think Kirk maybe got the first, and Cameron got the late consolation. I think. Yeah, well, we ha- we had a chance um, to go two 0 up. And who knows that 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 um, that might have changed. Oh, you sound like you're muddy now. <laughs> no, honestly, we had a re- we had a really good chance to go two 0 up in that game. Um, was it Gary Wales that had the chance? Because I've spoken about this before. Um, what year was that? So that was October two thousand and ten. No. Right. No. Uh, sorry, October two thousand. Yes, ten dash zero zero. And. We had a really, really good. I need to, I need to find this. Um, no, I, I, I believe you. I mean, I don't, I don't want to get too much into this game because I don't, I don't want to end talking no, about, about no, hips pumping us. I know, I know, but yeah. So we had a chance in that game, and, and it could have gone two 0 up, and then they cheered uh, ironically when when we scored late on. Quite right. Um, we would have done the same. Yeah, probably. But that we was, that was we... a memory from that game. Not. Not the not the commentary of eight eight goals six of them for them, but the fact that if we'd gone two 0 up, I don't think we would have lost that game. Possibly not, but it doesn't matter because we we got our own back and then we got our own back again and and again and again and then again and again. So it's all good, and hopefully we'll have more of those type of memories in the future. But for now, we will continue to to relive the past. Um, if you have any suggestions, as I mentioned, please do tweet us at Around the Funnel or email podcast at scarvesaroundthefunnel.co.uk and we will keep our, our weekly podcast going. We've got a couple of things to, to catch up on on Twitter. Got the Hardman World Cup to finish off. So plenty to, to keep us going if you're home at home in self-isolation just now. Um, but to sign us off, uh, obviously we've used some of the BBC stuff, which hopefully they'll never find out about. Keep that one quiet. Um, if Paul Mitchell's listening, don't tell your colleagues. Um, and <laughs> and we'll sign off though with Mark's commentary um, with some backing music, which is the version I can definitely find from this game. Um, and other than that, uh, do you have? Do you want to uh, reiterate the homework, Mark, before we go? 
Yeah, so you, because you've got a lot of time in your hands now, um, I think it's pertinent to, to keep keep the brain ticking over. So we do have homework for you this week, and it's, it's kind of social media homework. Uh, Laurie can provide you with all the, the details about where to send on Twitter and, and the likes, but your homework is simple this week. It's entitled, When We Were Young. And it is thus. We want to see photos of you when you were young with some sort of hearts connotation. You're either in hearts gear, you're meeting your favourite player, you're at Tyne Castle or somewhere else supporting hearts. But the stipulation is simple. You've just got to be young. So let's see them. I will start uh, with... Uh, uh, many people what? could interpret that differently. Well, yeah, just like kind of stuff that when you're looking back. Me- memories. Not like two days ago because I was younger. Here's a photo of me and a heart stop. Yeah. No, when you really when you were younger, when you were much younger. So if yeah. someone's listening in the, their 80s, it could be something for when they were in their 40s. I mean, it's, of course, yeah, 50s even. So I'm, I'm going to start you off with two. One is from the front page of the pink newspaper in November, I think it was, 1990, when I went to get Joe Jordan's autograph. It was his first home game in charge against Dundee United. And there was a, an evening news snapper that caught a few of us asking for his autograph. And the other one is having played in a, a heart of Midlothian five asides for for kids. Um, at, was it the old Browns Gymnasium or whatever it was? We won, so we got presented with our medals on the pitch prior to the game, uh, whoever it was against, uh, by an injured Craig Levine who was recovered recovering from knee surgery. So I'm going to start you off with those two. Let's see your ones from back in the day. Your photos of uh, you um, with a heart's connection. And let's see how many we can get of these. Yeah, good homework. Um, so, yeah, give us a tweet at Around the Funnel. That's the best way to do it with your photos from your younger days with something hearts related involved. Um, you can email us if you don't have uh, Twitter or social media. You can email podcast at scarvesaroundthefunnel.co.uk and we'll get sharing these uh, before the next show. Uh, but thanks for tuning in. And yeah, we'll we'll sign out with um, another another reliving of uh, High Five, which is of course better than the Joy of Six. Gives a chance for Andy Kirk. He's through. It's into the net. Andy Kirk opens his scoring at Tyne Castle. Valois still Valois. What can he do now? Chips it forward. It's onside against the Vries. It's a shot. What a goal! Hans got two now up. Mike de Vries on his home debut. The ball into the net. Hans to Hibsville. Here's a chance for Valwa inside. Nina goes for the shot. It's blocked. De Vries. 3-1. Mike de Vries in a double. Valwa sets it up. Kick blocks it. Again, question marks over the Hibs defence. They could not compete with Mark de Vries, the Dutchman in the double. Hearts three, Hibs one. It's McMullen down the left, he's got Severin through the middle and he's got a great pass. He spots Mark de Vries, good touch, a good turn. De Vries, hat-trick! Mark de Vries, a hat-trick on his derby debut! Gary Wales into the area, De Vries, no, surely not. De Vries into the area, knocked it down! Four goals for Mike De Vries! This is incredible! He scores with his head now! Mark De Vries gets four goals!